Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned With Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us. Now let's get started. We often assume that as we're in a relationship, we're going to have a level of closeness with our partner. But is this always necessarily the case? And could we in fact be in a relationship and still feel really disconnected and lonely? Today, we're going to be looking at what happens when in our relationship, we find it to be a lonely place and five steps that we can take to reconnect with our partner. Today, I'm going to be joined by Reese and Joey, who are internationally recognized relationship and intimacy coaches, award-winning bloggers, co-founders of Practical Intimacy, who since 2014 have helped hundreds of couples and over a million readers with their content, with their unique intimacy-focused approach to modern relationships and personal development. So warm welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Great to have you with me. And so first question I want to ask you is, um, what exactly do you understand to be emotional intimacy? What, what does it look like and why is it so important? So emotional intimacy is that feeling of closeness or connection that you feel with someone. But it's really deeper than even closeness. It's that sense that that person really sees you. They understand you. They know you deeply. And we talk about it as being maybe one of the most profound life-affirming experiences that you can have with another person because it's this feeling that you're no longer alone in the world, that someone really sees the true you. And it's really core to what we experience as love and really core to what it is that we desire, the whole reason we get into relationships in the first place. I see. When we experience that level of closeness and connection in partnership, in a relationship, it really does help to create this deep sense of safety, trust, where it's safe to be us, where we can express our full selves with one another and not only express our full selves, but have that self be loved and accepted and cherished and encouraged by our partner. Mm. Again, it really is sort of one of one of the core reasons and, and one of the core foundations of creating a healthy, successful relationship. It has very beautiful flow-on effects in terms of our sex life as well. Emotional intimacy does very much create the foundations and the framework to then develop into physical and sexual intimacy as well. I see. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to come on to that, Reese, and talk more about the link between the two, sort of emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, and how they fit together. But um, just on this point of emotional intimacy, I think it's such a, a great way to frame the conversation about relationships because so many people, I think, when we envisage ourselves in a relationship that's really working, one of the ways we envisage that it's working is that we have this emotional intimacy with another person, isn't it? Um, so that's a really, really nice way to sort of frame the conversation. Um, what happens then if people are not having this emotional intimacy? What does the relationship tend to look like at the point where we might recognise, oh, we're missing something in this this space? Well, you mentioned in the beginning this feeling of loneliness, this feeling of disconnect. And... It's that sense that you don't know your partner or they don't know you, that maybe you're talking about your day, you're going through the motions together, but that there's not a depth to your relationship. 
And because emotional intimacy is so core to trust and that emotional safety that Reese mentioned before, that then has a, a lot of negative flow on effects. So if you're not feeling connected, you are feeling lonely, it can lead to arguments, especially if you don't identify exactly that it's emotional intimacy that's missing. Sometimes we don't have the languaging around that. Mm. And so people might feel lonely, are trying to connect but don't know how, and so that actually becomes a source of arguments. It can create frustration. Yeah. Um, and that has other flow and effects as well, as, as Reese mentioned. I think especially in terms of conflict and how we communicate and how we resolve conflict, when there is that lack of emotional intimacy there, we don't have the skills and the tools to really be able to resolve conflict in a way where both people actually feel understood, where both people feel like they're being heard, their needs are being met. And we often see couples just getting caught on the surface level of the conflict, arguing over um, yeah, facts and figures as opposed to the underlying needs which aren't getting met in that conflict. I guess that's a useful way to think. So what, what you're saying is that many of the arguments have have this like lack of emotional intimacy as like one of the underlying causes in a way that that it may come out in an argument about the kids but really it could be more about this lack of emotional connection is that is that right absolutely like this is a, a very big gender gender this is a very big generalization but underneath whatever the uh, current topic is that is causing the conflict or the disconnection almost always there is a lack of just really understanding each other's perspective a lack of slowing down and tuning in and understanding what is this person feeling right now? How are they experiencing this situation? That is very separate from the, the topic or the content of the argument. I get it. Yeah. That makes, makes perfect sense. And as we said at the beginning, we were sort of focusing in on like loneliness as one of the, one of the key ways that we may become aware that something's missing here. And as I think you said, Jody, we may not have the language to think, well, what I'm missing here is emotional intimacy. But can you talk a bit more about that feeling of like loneliness and how, you know, it, well, we may not expect to feel lonely. We're in a relationship. Right. But how actually we could feel lonely and that that would be that would be a valid experience as well. Yeah. So it, I guess that has many different feelings within it. So it might be a sense of I don't know what's going on in your world. Who are you? You know, that that almost emptiness of sitting across the kitchen table, seeing this person every day, but thinking, I don't know what's going on inside your world. How do you feel about what's going on in our life? What do you do all day? And how do you feel about that? What are your dreams? What are your hopes? Like we might just feel that this person is a stranger to us. It so might have another manifestation where it's a sense that we don't feel like that person sees the real us, that we're not able to open up about our feelings or our thoughts or our dreams or that maybe we can open up but they're not really listening, that they don't actually value what it is that we have to share because emotional mm. intimacy is more than just understanding, it's also a sense of acceptance and validation and that's why emotional safety is a key part here. That This is why it builds trust. It's that sense of I'm accepted for who I am. I'm accepted based on all these things that I share and, and the things that are messy and the things that are brilliant, like this person really loves me as I am. 
see. Yeah, I get that. Thank you for explaining that. And, and with this, we talked about the intimacy has been one aspect or a sense of like, I don't know who my partner is. Why, well, what tends to, if we're lacking this component, if we, if we haven't got this emotional intimacy, how else will that play through? Give us some like examples of how the relationship will start to be impacted by that. I think one of the manifestations of this is couples can be really good at teamwork. So managing the house, looking after the kids, paying the bills, going to work. Those things are all important for, for a relationship to function. But again, on a deeper level, there is often this sense of, is that all there is? Is that all there is to our relationship? And it can almost be this unknown problem in a sense where one person or even both people in the relationship are feeling this vague sense of questioning in terms of, is, is this all our relationship is capable of? So again, there may not be the language around it's actually emotional intimacy that, that is missing here. But what we find is like once couples are educated essentially to, hey, there is almost this secret level of relationship that you can unlock through the tool of emotional intimacy that can have you both feeling like deeply seen, deeply felt, deeply connected as a team that really fills the void of what's this missing piece here. I see. Something else we'll also see is a breakdown in affection. So physical affection, that tenderness, um, incidental touch, uh, romantic kisses. Maybe we'll still see some like perfunctory kisses on the cheek before we head out to work. But that in that type of physical intimacy that expresses closeness, that expresses love. And then one step further, we often will see a breakdown in sexual intimacy because mm. sexual intimacy requires a lot of safety, emotional safety, trust, intimacy, all of that. So we'll see it have those sorts of slow one effects as well. I get it. Well, so, so this is a really big deal is what I'm hearing is that such yeah. a, a such a, an essential part really of a great relationship for all these other areas to work, then this really needs to be in place as part of the, the foundation. So um, on that level, my next obvious question really is why is it that this ends up being such a problem for so many people? You know, if it's something that's so foundational and an enabler to something really special, happening in our relationship what are the kind of things that cause us to struggle you know with emotional intimacy one of the simplest reasons is we simply don't have the tools we're not taught how to do emotional intimacy well so even though it's very core to what we might need it is an essential human need to feel connection with others we're social beings but we also do need to be modeled these skills. As humans, we need to learn everything from other people. We learn by observing and we don't necessarily grow up in households where this is modeled to us. Schools don't necessarily teach us to have healthy relationships. What we watch on TV isn't necessarily modeling emotional intimacy either. And so a lot of people are lacking the skills and they're lacking the, the models of how to do emotional intimacy well. The other big struggle that we see here is really essentially a gender difference in terms of, as Jody mentioned, we're, we're not modeled the skills of intimacy, but generally speaking, women tend to be better at emotional intimacy, tend to have more of an understanding of its existence in the first place. 
where they have modeled to them more examples and experiences of emotional intimacy in family, in friendships, in community. So there does tend to be more of an understanding for women around this is a thing that exists. This is a thing that feels really good to focus on and to build and to cultivate in relationships. So when it comes to intimate relationships, they do have that there is more awareness around essentially the problem here, especially when there's a lack of intimacy in intimate relationships. On the other end of the spectrum, we have men who don't really ever, we don't see examples of this in our relationships. It's not something that's modeled to us. It's not something that we're taught. It's not something that we have an awareness of as, as something that exists that is able to be experienced. Mm -hmm. So for men, it really is a bit of an uphill battle in terms of we don't know what we don't know. It's almost an unknown problem. And we see this manifest time and time again with the couples that we work with in terms of the woman saying we're missing emotional intimacy, basically, you know, why don't you get me? Why don't you understand me? Um, why don't you open up? Why aren't you vulnerable? which we'll talk more about vulnerability in a moment. And for men, there's this sense of, I go to work, I pay the bills, I provide. What is What else do you want from me? There's this sense of like, I don't even understand what's being asked of me here. Mm -hmm. It's not until they begin learning the skills and having tastes of and experiences of this level of emotional intimacy that it begins to dawn on them, oh, here is this level of connection that I'm able to feel in my relationship. And when I focus on that, when I begin to actively put energy into cultivating that aspect of the relationship, there are all of these beautiful benefits and flow on effects. Mm, I see. Okay. It's interesting. Thanks for explaining that. Um, just on those two points. So you, you were saying about how in our culture through education and things, we don't necessarily have the most great role models, you know, to, to, to follow here. And that's, that's a really important point because I think so many people just think that, well, my relationship should just be easy. It should just work. We should just know what to do. And it's like, well, why, why would you, when you think about, as I say, the role models around us, maybe our parents were having, you know, the most amazing, perfect relationship, or maybe they weren't potentially, but however, we get all kinds of different role models, don't we, around us um so yeah that's a really really great point and um, i just on this point on gender um Reece, i was curious do you think it's for the challenge for men i'll just focus on that for a minute do you think from your understanding or experience that it's more about like the role models or is it something deeper like more intrinsically that men just find this stuff more difficult what, what do you think i think it's partly that it's not role modeled to us so again as i said we don't men tend to not even understand that this is a thing that they can experience. So it's just that unknown problem. Therefore, they don't have the tools to be able to do this. The conditioning that most men receive around being a man and masculinity also actively plays against this having this experience of emotional intimacy because mm. we're taught that essentially vulnerability is weakness. We're taught not to show emotion. We're taught not to delve into the deeper stuff. We're actively taught to essentially suck it up and, and move ahead. Yeah. Don't get bogged down in how you might be feeling about something, but emotional intimacy really does require 
brutal honesty and authenticity about who we are, what we're experiencing, how we feel about things. So in terms of creating emotional intimacy in relationship, men really do have to actively challenge all of the messages and conditionings that we've received around, yeah, don't be vulnerable, don't show your feelings, don't be honest about who you are, don't admit that you might be struggling with something. That is a huge barrier to intimacy, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and one that does need to be very actively looked at and addressed. I get it. And do you think there's a like a, a, a kind of flexibility required, Reese, as well, like where, you know, there might be domain, there might be areas of a man's life where that sort of emotional vulnerability may not really be what is required or may not be really helpful in certain situations. But then in his relationship, it is very helpful. And there's sort of a being able to bring certain qualities in different situations. What, what, what do you think? Absolutely. Yes. In terms of like, I call it like the old school conditioning of masculinity, where it's like, you know, suck it up, move forward, achieve your goals, very dynamic and direct. There is absolutely a time and place for that. Like I'm not here to like completely throw masculinity under the bus and demonize it. There are very helpful aspects of that where, yeah, in your job, you don't want to be sitting there all up in your feels talking about how vulnerable you're feeling right now. Yeah. You want to be able to employ this tool of not getting bogged down in emotion, being able to prioritize and goal set and move ahead and and be, quote unquote, traditionally masculine in that way. There are absolutely time and places where that's relevant in life. It's a very important skill to have. And having said that, we also need to learn discernment around when is the correct set and setting time and place and environment to use tools. In our intimate relationships, that level of like trust and acceptance and teamwork absolutely does require us to essentially put down the armor and show up in a more honest, authentic, vulnerable, here is the totality and the complexity of who I am as a person, not just a man, but a human who is complex and multifaceted and does experience struggle and also does experience success as well. But just having the skills to be able to show our partner the totality of who we are, to help them know who we are, to help them see us and understand us. And rather than that being a liability, you know, that sort of traditional idea that vulnerability is weakness, it's, a, it's actually the opposite. In the context of intimate relationship, it gets to become a superpower. It gets to because our relationship gets to be this place where where we do where as men we experience that being seen and accepted and loved and championed for the totality of who we are actually helps propel us and actually helps us become more empowered as opposed to less. I see. Makes sense. Thanks for thanks for explaining that. And um, I can definitely see how this is such a yeah. I like the word superpower. It's something that can really take your relationship to a, a different uh, different level. And um, just one question in terms of because we, we we kind of framing emotional intimacy as being one of the goals here or something to really work on and enhance. Would you say it can? Well, at least in theory, can it go too far? I mean, can we have like too much of this? Could it ever become a, a challenge in that respect? Or do you see it more as something just to maximize and uh, bring out as much as possible? I believe 
maximise and bring out as much as possible. But within that, I think, is an important clarification to make. Um, Emotional intimacy isn't just talking about your struggles or here's all the things that I feel sad about today, here's all of my trauma, here's all of the ways that I feel insecure. When we think of emotional intimacy and talking about our feelings, people often assume that means all the bad stuff. And I want to mention that emotional intimacy can include talking about the things you're proud of, talking about your celebrations, talking about the things that you feel hopeful about. And so I I think the idea of could we do emotional intimacy too much is maybe coming from the idea that, oh, we can't just sit around moping all the time. I, I would instead say that maximizing emotional intimacy means just sharing who you are with the important people in your life. And it won't just have benefits for your relationship. Emotional intimacy is really core to self-esteem. When we talk more about, yes, the things we're struggling with, but the things we're proud of, the things we're looking forward to, our ideas, our opinions, we actually develop a greater sense of understanding of ourselves. And there is a lot of research that suggests that we learn who we are, we grow our sense of our individuality, in collaboration with other people by sharing who we are and seeing, you know, their responses in return. And so when looking as well at like how men have struggled with this and this invitation for them to embrace emotional intimacy as a superpower, it won't just help your relationship. It will help you as a man. And I think when we live in a culture where, for instance, men are struggling the rate for suicide for men is much higher than for women. And I believe it's because of this culture of don't share your feelings, whether they're good, whether they're bad, you know, just keep this armor on at all time. So I believe that emotional intimacy can also be a part of a healthy psyche, healthy and overall like mental health and well-being. Fantastic. Any other benefits, uh, Rita, you want to add to that? What other, what other reasons should we be getting excited about this and about the opportunity of enhancing this in our, in our relationship and in our lives? I mean, we've found through our work that there almost is no limit to the depth that you can take this. Yeah. It, 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 when we have the skills and the tools and the techniques and the conditions to create this sense of connection, Again, whether it's through sharing the hard stuff or sharing the good stuff, it's almost like this this infinite wellspring of love in a relationship. And the flow-on effects from that in every area of a couple's life, whether that's how they communicate, how they work together as a team, how they approach their sex lives, how they approach parenting, as Jody mentioned, like the, the individual effects of just feeling more confident as a, as a person, not necessarily within the couple. It's like, yeah, I know we're sounding quiet over the top in all of this, but for us and for our work, it, it really is like the bedrock of just a healthy, happy existence. Yeah, well, I'm certainly seeing that. I'm, I'm feeling that. I'm sure many of our listeners are as well getting excited at this point and just seeing <laughs> how important this is. So um, without further ado, let's Let's talk about what people can start to do then. Let's say people are listening and thinking, yeah, I, I get it. We haven't got this quality you're talking about. In fact, maybe we feel a long way from this place. What can we start to do, like as of today, if we want to start bringing this emotional intimacy into our relationship? We've already talked about one of the key ingredients, and that's vulnerability. 
So what that means is sharing your inner world with someone else. We call it personal disclosure. If you want to feel close to somebody, you need to share things about yourself. And so if you're looking at your relationship thinking, why why are we not connecting? And this is even true for friendships. Why don't I feel close to my friends? It's important to sit back and reflect. Am I actually sharing what's going on for me? Or am I always asking questions about how are they feeling? What's going on in your life? Um, am I always showing up to be the supporter? Maybe am I showing up to be the rescuer, but never actually showing up for me and sharing what's going on in my world? Because sometimes that feels scary. Often that feels scary. So it is really important to embrace vulnerability. And there's research that supports this as well, looking at friendships um, of college age uh, people where they, even though they might have a lot of friendships, if they're not sharing about their inner world, so if they're not doing personal disclosure, they will report feeling lonely in those friendships, whereas other mm. people, if they are doing personal disclosure, will report feeling much closer in those friendships. And so we know that this is a really, really key piece of emotional intimacy. Okay. So let me just ask a question on that. So vulnerability, I could imagine people listening and thinking, yes, I love that idea and I'd love to be able to be vulnerable but I don't feel like I can be because my relationship isn't feeling like a very good place right now. So I'd love to work towards that, but what can I actually do to get to that point where I feel I can be vulnerable? Yeah. So another really key ingredient would be safety. And what's hard about emotional emotional intimacy, it's kind of a chicken or egg situation. More emotional intimacy will create more safety, but more safety will create more emotional intimacy. But if you don't feel like you're able to open up to your partner, what are the things that are going to make you feel safe enough to open up with your partner? Is there an important conversation you need to have? Do you need to go and see a relationship expert? Do you need to work with a coach? Do you need to work with a therapist to create that safe environment? Or do you need to educate your partner around what emotional safety might look like for you? So an example of that might be, I have this vulnerable thing I want to share with my partner, but I'm scared that they're going to laugh at me. So let's say I've got a new business idea that I'm excited about, okay, but I and I want to bring it to Reese, but I'm, I'm scared that he's going to think it's crazy or he's going to laugh at me or whatever it is. I can own that fear and take responsibility for creating a sense of safety by saying, hey, I have this idea that I want to share with you, but admittedly, I feel a bit nervous. I actually feel a bit scared to bring it up because maybe you're going to think it's silly. Would you be able to listen to this idea with a really open mind? Because I'm actually really excited about it. I have so much that I want to share. Would you be willing to have that conversation with me? Right. So you can take responsibility for creating that safety yourself in the way that you actually frame and language the conversation. Yeah. There's almost two different ways that vulnerability and intimacy happen here. And we might language them in terms of self-validated intimacy, which is essentially what Jody just modeled then. Like, I don't know how this is going to be received. Ultimately, big picture wise, I would love that sense of curiosity and acceptance and welcoming and 
cherishing and championing me, but there's almost no guarantee here. So that's the vulnerable piece of this of like, maybe there is a lack of safety in the relationship. Maybe these types of conversations have not gone well in the past, but self-validated intimacy is I'm going to challenge myself to do the vulnerable thing here, even if it's not accepted in the way that I would really ultimately hope that it would be, but I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to put myself on the line and validate myself in that way. Hopefully over time, we would also begin building what we call other validated intimacy, which is when we can share ourselves and we are responded to in a way that's kind and caring and empathetic and has us feeling supported because that's the piece that ultimately over time is going to create more of that trust and that safety where we essentially have this store of evidence of I have been able to share myself in this way. I have been able to be really vulnerable and I've been responded to in a way that oh, makes me relaxed and makes me feel cared for and accepted. Oh, I, I know that I can show up in this way time and time again now to, to be accepted and, and have it create that sense of back and forth intimacy. Yeah. See, I get that. So but really starting with yourself and seeing what you can do to cultivate or create this sense, but then also looking to build that bridge to your partner through yes. those kind of conversations. I, I get that. Thank you for explaining that. And, and just on that point, really leads me on to my next question, which was, I wanted to ask, do you find that sometimes or often there can be a gap where one partner really wants to be more emotionally intimate and the other one maybe doesn't see it so clearly or has got some struggles around this area or just doesn't get it? And I just wondering if you come across that and if so, what how do you deal with it? Yeah, this absolutely shows up all the time. Um, we talk about having a higher desire partner and a lower desire partner. And it doesn't mean one person wants it and the other doesn't. It's just there's often one person who that's the thing they're really craving. And so they're really keen to create that. The other person may not quite get the the value of it yet. As Reese mentioned earlier that often is a, a gendered issue with men not really understanding or having experienced emotional intimacy. They don't necessarily get it. Women who often experience it in their friendships with family, they want that in their intimate relationship as well. But it's not just always a gendered issue. And sometimes we have men show up. They're the ones really wanting that emotional depth from their relationship. So yes, yeah. we absolutely see this all the time. And I think a really important piece is to be accepting of where your partner is at or understanding and compassionate. If, if you're the higher desire partner and you're turning towards your partner to create this thing and they don't get it yet, it's important to treat that softly as opposed to showing up with frustration or criticism or assuming bad intent, bad intent because Otherwise, you're not creating emotional safety by doing that. They're not going to open up to you if, if you're there complaining and saying, well, you're not interested in this thing and why don't you want to be closer to me? I can't believe I tried this and you're not showing up. That's not going to make someone want to soften and open, right? I see. Okay. So if you can find a way to own what it is that you want and invite your partner along on that journey with you, hey, here's this thing that I want and here's what I think it could do for our relationship and, hey, it's not so scary after all. We could just start by sharing our celebrations. 
um, help them, give them a, a small safe taste of it so that they are then more motivated to prioritize this thing with you. I see. I very often also how this issue presents in terms of a lack of emotional intimacy and connection. The, the higher desire partner for the emotional intimacy will often have that, that frustration and that resentment yeah. built up over you know months, years, decades of not experiencing this. So I think that is why it is absolutely important to get an external party involved whether that's through counseling, therapy, coaching, because one person, the high desire partner trying to educate when coming from a place of frustration and resentment will most often not be received well. Yeah. Because it will feel like criticism. It will feel like an attack. And you know what happens when we feel like we're being attacked? Well, we become defensive. We become closed off to even wanting to understand what the other person is asking for there. That's a really great point because it's so difficult really sometimes to present our needs in a way that doesn't sound like a criticism. It sounds like, well, are you saying that there's something wrong with me? You're saying, um, and then all of a sudden we're in a different sort of conversation that really isn't leading anywhere to emotional intimacy, in fact, maybe the other direction. So, yeah, I think it's a really, really great point about getting support, you know, so we can get an external perspective and just help to to navigate it. Um, that makes, makes sense. That's true. No matter how well you can express your need, because your partner wants you to always be happy, like we see this so much, your partner wants you to be happy. They want to be a source of just all that is wonderful. If you turn to them and say, hey, something's lacking, you you may not be attacking them at all with that but they're going to feel like it's still some way that they're not they're not good enough. And so we see even when people are so conscious of how they express their needs, they will still be met sometimes with defensiveness. It will still feel like criticism because it's hard to have the person you love turn to you and say, hey, I'm not happy with our relationship. Here's this thing that's lacking. And so, again, that's where it really can be helpful to have a third party sort of really supporting that conversation to remain productive. Um, yeah. Definitely. Thank you for that. And um, I would like to come on to a point that you mentioned earlier, which is around the sort of sexual connect connection or sexual attraction connected to this area of emotional intimacy. Can you explain how you see these two connected and why, yeah, how, how these seem to join up really? As we've been building the case for the importance of emotional intimacy in a relationship, it really does lay the groundwork for this sense of connection, this sense of safety, this sense of trust, this sense of collaborative teamwork. And those are the conditions for a healthy sexual relationship to really thrive, where we do feel deeply known, deeply seen, and not only seen and understood, but connected and accepted from one another, that helps us to feel relaxed with one another. Yeah. That sense of safety and relaxation are really important qualities for a sexual relationship to thrive. There's also this other lovely benefit. We know the main thing people are looking for when reaching out for sexual connection is intimacy, connection, closeness. And so we would often say that, 
emotional intimacy is within sexual intimacy. So it creates the environment for emotional intimacy, but often that is what people are, are reaching out for, that sense of closeness. And so mm. they are really interrelated in that they support one another um, and help to actually create one another. Very so, often when we're working with couples around this and we ask the question, like, why is sex important to you? What does it give you? We get the very obvious answers of it feels good, it's pleasurable, it's fun, it's exciting, yes. And when we keep asking that question, like, and what else does it give you? Almost always we land on the concept of connection, like, what does good sex help us feel with our partners? It helps us feel connected. And there, again, sort of this, this chicken and an egg situation in terms of, and it is very gendered here, for women, they need the emotional connection to feel safe, to open, to share their bodies with their partner, to feel like they're loved and accepted and cherished for who they are, not just what they're giving, like giving their body to their partner. So that emotional safety helps create that sexual safety for women to, to feel safe to open. Conversely, for men, it's almost the other way around a lot of the time in terms of the sexual intimacy helps them to get to that place of emotional connection. Mm -hmm. It for a lot of men, provides the platform or the avenue or opportunity to experience that deeper level of emotional intimacy. See, that's useful. So it can work either way around. Uh, it's what I'm hearing there. That you know, you can have well, they're sort of tied together. I think as you're doing this ingestion, Jody, it's like you know they, they kind of go hand in hand. And you could have one and then the other, or the other then yeah. So eat and I, are you saying that there's like no real right or wrong? It's just people finding their way into a connection that works for them how, how would you explain that there's definitely no right or wrong like both are completely valid but i think a common stumbling block is if we look at how sexual desire and arousal works for women is that it's going to be hard for a woman to actually experience sexual desire and arousal if she doesn't feel the benefits of emotional intimacy so safety trust, feeling accepted and loved. And so that does create a bit of an order of operations. Um, okay. Some people would argue, oh, well, if sex is going to create emotional intimacy, let's have sex first and then we'll have the emotional intimacy. But you're going to usually experience a lot. And look, I say women, 70% of women will probably experience their desire in a way that they need lots of emotional safety. 30% of men are probably going to experience it that way. Um, this comes down to um, the brakes and accelerators model of, of sexual desire and arousal. Um, we all have these brakes and accelerators and we know that women tend to experience it one way, men tend to experience it the other way, but there is overlap. So when looking at creating sexual connection, we do need to factor in what's the environment that's going to help me to feel desire, to feel aroused so that that doesn't actually become a hindrance and I don't ever have to force myself to get emotional intimacy. That is, that's not the goal. So it is really important to slow down and create that emotional intimacy first. We, we take the perspective here, we use this saying, we can only go as 
we can only go as fast as the slowest part of us feels safe to go. So in terms yeah. of women, in terms of that responsive desire, it's it's very slow compared to the quickness of arousal for most men. Like men, very quick to get aroused, very quick to get going. It's like sexual intimacy, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That feels good. That feels natural. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But in terms of working collaboratively to create mutually fulfilling sexual experiences in a long-term relationship, we can only go as fast as that slowest part feels safe to go. So for a yeah. lot of or the, you know, the higher or the the for a lot of men, just like being able to learn how to slow down, how to meet women on that level to create the conditions necessarily necessary where they do feel safe to open up to then bring it to a place of creating more emotional intimacy through the sexually intimate experience. And I just want to add here, like, again, we're genderalizing. Again, yeah. super important to say you were almost about to share this. I saw it that there is many, there are many relationships where it's actually the woman who is maybe desiring sex more than their male partner um, sure. or or we have in gay relationships, right? We're going to have one partner who's maybe wanting sex more than the other. They're the higher desire over the lower desire partner. Um, and that same idea still applies, going as fast as the slowest part of us. I see. Oh, thanks for explaining that. That's right. There's the, Yeah, there are differences and we, well, it's a complex area, isn't it? So it, it yeah. is useful sometimes <laughs> to, to generalise, but then we've also got to stomach and say, well, this isn't always the case. Yeah. So it's useful yeah. to, to reflect on that. And that's great. Thanks for uh, explaining that. Um, you mentioned about vulnerability. You know, we, we've got these steps that we're sharing around how to enhance. Um, uh, so we've talked about vulnerability so far. We're going to come on to the other two steps in a moment. Um, before we do that, though, I'd love to find hear more about how did you two come to be doing this work, your own personal stories, into this area and being so passionate about what you're doing so we began dating back in 2012 so 11 years now and we had both just come out of long-term relationships my i think mine was six years maybe yours was five something like that um so it's kind of safe to say we were both quite relationship jaded at that point um yeah you know, obviously there were good points about those relationships yeah. obviously there were unhealthy aspects of those relationships obviously at the end of the relationship we were very focused on the unhealthy aspects um so there was even though we'd met we, there was a lot of attraction there was a lot of chemistry between us we were both very reserved and very reluctant in terms of pursuing a relationship with one another. And at the same time, we, we couldn't deny that attraction and that chemistry. So there was a, a willingness to give it a try, but it was very tentative. Mm. I remember that we both had that realization of, oh my gosh, I love this person. Shit. Now what? Because we didn't, we didn't, we didn't want to really, or we didn't believe that we could build relationships long term. So that that was a, a a real fork in the road moment. Yeah, we both had the experience of losing ourselves in relationships previously. We both had the experience of you know, struggling with all of the most common relationship problems, like communication, conflict resolution, managing this difference in desire for sex 
managing this, how do I still be me, be an individual while being in relationship and sharing myself with someone else? So in order to answer those questions, we really embarked on a journey of discovery where we spent every spare moment of our lives just discovering and and learning whatever we could about how to make relationships work which involved a lot of our own individual personal development work in terms of looking at our attachment styles looking taking that more sort of therapeutic approach of what did i learn experience as a child that impacts how i connect with and relate to others now hmm. A lot of personal development work in terms of you know who is the individual that I want to be that's separate from relationship, that I'm still prioritizing myself and growing and developing into the best version of myself. A lot of relationship work in terms of, like I mentioned, the conflict, conflict resolution, how we communicate in healthy, collaborative ways, how we approach sex so that we both have our needs being met and are approaching it in this collaborative way. And it was through this process that we really began to piece together from all of these different approaches what worked for us. And the, the, the passion and the excitement that we felt through doing that work personally really fed into the idea of essentially packaging this work and offering it to the world especially in terms of this emotional intimacy piece that became just more and more relevant as like the core and the bedrock through all of the work that we were doing in our relationship. I see. Thanks for that's, explaining that. That's, that's great. How intimacy was yes. born and that's, that's why we yeah. chose the name of like, mm-hmm. here are the practical, tangible skills that you can learn to create this in your relationships. Mm-hmm. So that very much born out of your own journey, your own experience and the insights that you had together as you were building your relationships. So that's really, yeah. thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing your story there. Um, and yeah, just feeding then into the, the second point. So I know we, we talked about vulnerability. What was the second key point you wanted to share about how we can really step into this practice, intimacy, emotional intimacy? Even before we do vulnerability, there's a piece that we need to be mindful of and practice, and it's what we call presence. Okay. We can talk about presence on a number of different levels. On a very practical level, presence looks like putting your phone down, taking time to actually give your partner your full attention. On a more intangible level, Presence begins with presence with self. So it's really taking time to self-reflect, to tune in to self, to really take time out of life to be with yourself. And it might be helpful to acknowledge like what presence tends to not look like. You know, Please, yeah, that'd be helpful. Most people are so caught up in the busyness of life, whether that's work, kids, what are we cooking for dinner? What are we going to buy Aunt Mabel for her birthday next month? All of those things are incredibly important. All of those things absolutely need and deserve our attention. Life doesn't function without putting attention and effort into those areas of our life. But with presence, we're looking at, 
okay, let me take a step back from the coalface of life, essentially. Let me take a step back so that I'm not just reacting to everything that's happening around me and really taking time to practice mindfulness and and tune into, oh, how am I feeling right now? We talked about vulnerability. We talked about sharing who we are as a person, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. Before we can do that, we need to have something to share before we can share it with our partner. So it really is the practice of just getting present to what is actually happening inside of me right now. We might not have that. I don't want to paint the picture that we can ever fully know ourselves, but it's essentially the willingness to actually look. See, that's really useful. Thanks for explaining that. So what I'm hearing is that in order for us to be able to show up in this emotionally intimate and emotionally vulnerable way, we need to be in a certain place ourselves, which you're framing as presence, mm-hmm. as a way of like reflecting on ourselves, knowing ourselves. And is, is that right? So you, you mentioned mindfulness. So talk, talk us a bit more about what that looks like and what we can do if we want to be more mindful. Well, there's the mindfulness with self and then that, that presence does also become essential when you're doing emotional intimacy with your partner. And so with when you're looking at creating presence with your partner, in that context, mindfulness looks like, as Reese mentioned, putting your phone down, taking a moment to create a space where you can be with each other. So maybe that is closing your computer or finishing off that email for the day. Maybe it's cleaning the kitchen so you have a sense of the day is done and then sitting with each other, taking a few moments to look at your partner, to look into their eyes. Quite often when we facilitate this with clients on our calls, when they sit, we encourage them to sit opposite each other, to look into each other's eyes and then just to take a few deep breaths and to breathe, to feel into their body, to feel mm. into the space with their partner. And they will often say to us, this is the first time we've looked at each other like this in years. Mm. Because yes. often when we first meet, we'll spend all the time looking into each other's eyes, gazing and, and, <laughs> and appreciating one another. But in the busyness of life, of life, we lose that, we miss that. So it's creating that space, it's slowing down, breathing deeply. I mean, one of the most core principles of of mindfulness and really being with each other. Mm, I see. Thank you for explaining that. So there, there are things that we can do together as well, which will increase this sense of presence, like breathing together, looking at each other's eyes. So thank you for explaining that. And yeah, I can see certainly see that if we're very, I think you use the word reactive, Maurice, you know, if we're just sort of flitting from one thing to the other and we're sort of in this everyday state of panic it's going to be quite hard to then be emotionally vulnerable emotionally intimate from that place yeah and what's even more challenging is that life is set up in a way to essentially perpetually distract us it's almost like we're we're working against the i won't call it the natural order of things because <laughs> we can we can argue that it's not entirely natural but just the way the world works it continually demands our attention you know, social media is a great example is actually designed to you know, suck up your attention in that way so yeah 
yeah, not only are we needing to learn the skills of mindfulness, but to, yeah, actually like resist the natural temptation to just go along with the flow to become complacent essentially and not be in the driver's seat of our life and our experience but again, to almost disconnect from the everyday world mm. and take this very intentional time of, you know what, I'm unplugging in order to plug into self, in order to connect and plug into relationship. Mm. And there are other ways, uh, other tools and techniques that we can help help us do that as well. Like we we're talking about mindfulness, which is essentially just learning how to bring more presence to your emotional state and your mental state. So, you know, just observing thoughts as opposed to your thoughts thinking you. The body is a very, very good gateway into becoming more present. It's like there are always sensations happening in the body and just taking the time to slow down and be curious about what am I actually sensating right now, developing a greater sense of emotional intelligence which is just bringing more discernment to what are these things that I'm actually feeling here? That, yeah, that yeah. level of awareness is a fantastic place to start. Fantastic. Actually explain that. So we've got um, vulnerability and we've got presence. So what's our third call to action or third invitation to focus in a, in a different way? The next thing we would encourage people to look at is empathy. And this, this is big. And I think almost every single one of the ingredients we've shared has almost an internal part to it and then the external, what you're doing with your partner. And empathy is no different. We really encourage you, if you're showing up with your partner and you want to create that intimacy and that connection, you need to show up with an open mind or we call it curiosity. So how you listen and how you respond to your partner is hugely important. So showing up with empathy means really listening, not to fix. You're not listening to their problems so you can be like, okay, well, here's what you should do. Like that's one of the biggest traps that we see couples fall into. We fall into it all the time. I don't want my partner to feel bad, so I'm going to try and fix their problems. But that doesn't create emotional intimacy. Instead, it's being curious and trying to understand what must this feel like for them? If everything they said was true, if I assume that everything that they're explaining makes sense, what mm. would that be like? How could that make sense? You're looking for a way to adopt this as a reality that makes sense to you, yeah? And so mm. that often can be challenging because our partner might be sharing a reality that's very different to ours. We see this as very difficult during conflict, for example, um, but then empathy is crucially important. So really listening to understand and not simply to respond. When it comes to this element of empathy, we have this thing that we've called emotional logic. So as opposed to listening to fix, as opposed to sh if we're using the example of conflict, for instance, very often a partner will respond on the level of logic of like, yeah, here's why you shouldn't feel that way. Here's why what you're experiencing is wrong. If you just understood it in this way, you wouldn't have to feel that way. 
when we introduce this concept of emotional logic, we're essentially inviting people to do away with, okay, it might not make sense on the logical, rational, mental level, but let's imagine for a moment there's an emotional logic to this. So the partner listening is taking the perspective of getting curious about how does this emotionally make sense? How can I essentially, you know, empathy is stepping into someone else's shoes and understanding what it feels like to be them. So you're essentially putting your idea of reality in the world to the side for a moment, stepping into the perspective of another person and looking around and going, wow, how does this make sense? And we want to be clear, this is incredibly difficult to do. Like this is the most. Why do you think it's so difficult? So what makes it so challenging? Especially in the context of conflict, essentially what's happening is on some level we're disagreeing with each other's version of reality of what happened. Yeah. If one person is sharing an, an upset, the other person is hearing that essentially in their mind, constructing evidence of here's why you're wrong. Here's why that's not what happened. Here's how, if you could just look at it in this way, you would see that essentially I'm right here. So there's a lot of defensiveness. There's a lot of uh, stockpiling of arguments in that moment. Essentially, both people are triggered. Both people are in a highly reactive emotional state. What we're asking people to do in these moments is higher order thinking here, which is taking your own experience, taking all of the arguments that you've stockpiled, choosing to put them to the side for a moment. There will be a time and place to explore that. Empathy and understanding must go both ways, especially in conflict, mm. to get to a resolution. But for one person to put that aside and, and just basically take the perspective, let me see how this person emotionally makes sense right now. And that can feel like the hardest thing in the world to do mm-hmm. when you're both triggered and upset in the heat of the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, it feels like I get that for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a tough place to be to navigate in that moment. And I guess that's where the, the point you mentioned earlier about presence comes in, doesn't it? If we can stay present and not get into that highly triggered state that you're describing, that's going to help, right, as well. So well, that always we will, makes like, We will always get triggered in, in intimate relationships and in life we take the perspective that the goal is never to not get triggered because we don't know what's going to trigger us. The real journey and the real progress here is like, what happens once we notice we're triggered? What then do we, what skills and tools do we have to get us to that place of empathy and understanding? I see. That makes sense. Reese. perfect. Well, um, the last thing I wanted to ask you, thanks for explaining all of that so far. I'm really curious because I know you two work together. I'm fascinated to hear how it is working together as well as being in a relationship. How do you how do you navigate that? The great part about this is that all of the perspectives and the frameworks and the techniques that we teach, we absolutely have to battle test them in our relationship yeah. as well. Yeah. And working together is highly triggering for us in a lot of ways. And we do experience a lot of relationship conflict when it comes to how we run our business and the ideas that we have and how we collaborate to work together in Mm. that way. Yeah. As you were saying before, the goal is not to get triggered. It's how you handle it. And so for us, we disagree all the time. We have (laughs) different 
different perspectives. Um, we have very different creative styles. That's probably where we clash the most when we're creating um, blog articles, when we're, we're trying to write. That's really challenging. But we're lucky because we have really great skills for handling conflict. It gets to be this opportunity. And sometimes it's those moments where like, oh, yeah, we've got to do, practice what we teach right now, right? Yeah. What we preach. Um, so that that has been in, in some ways challenging, but also beautiful because we've honed these skills. And every time we learn something more about a hidden trigger, which then helps us, mm. you know, show up with our clients in a more embodied and compassionate way because we're experiencing this stuff in our relationship as well. I think what I love about this is that it's not just theory. It's not just, here's this thing I, I read in a book and, you know, we should ideally be able to apply this to our relationship. It's through our own relationship and through also working together that we essentially poke holes in the thing, <laughs> the things that we teach. It's like, oh, wow, I've discovered how actually I'm trying to employ this tool or this approach Here's a problem with that that I, I didn't see before. It's only through that experience of trying to apply it to our own marriage that mm -hmm. we're able to come to those much more granular distinctions around here's how to make this better, essentially. Mm -hmm. I see. Great. That's useful to understand, I'm sure. Well, we we have a, a similar dynamic challenge, you know, where you're business partners on the one hand but intimate partners as well and it's uh it's a whole journey that's probably a whole podcast episode on its own <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh but yeah good to get you get your thoughts on that well i've really enjoyed the conversation this morning um i know um, you're both australian nationals but based here in europe in greece i believe at the moment but how can people like keep in touch with you give, give us an, an idea how can people find out more about your work so the best place is our website practicalintimacy.com so that's where we have all of our articles. We have online courses. You can reach out um, there. For instance, if you're interested in doing coaching, we have our discovery calls where people can discover all that on our website. We also have a quiz that people can take to learn more about intimacy styles and understanding how to apply emotional intimacy, how to apply physical intimacy in their relationship. So practicalintimacy.com is the best place. We are on social media, but we are not big social media users. Um, so, yeah, you'll find a lot of tumbleweeds um, on our socials. But you're welcome to, yeah. to come and hang out there. But the best place is jumping on our website, even joining our mailing list, mailing list, because that's our preferred way to stay in touch with people. See, amazing. Well, it's great to hear. Well, I really, really appreciate your time today and uh, i love your your insights and your, as well your passion that comes across so so strongly for what you're doing to want to help people and make people's relationships work so i really honor your you know your work and your 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 uh passion and enthusiasm for what you're doing and um, would you like to leave maybe each of you with a final maybe reminder action call to action for people to take away mm. The first thing that comes up for me, and this is just completely out of the blue, um, is just a reminder for people to take the time to slow down. Yeah, and we were talking about this concept of presence, and I think just that really is such a, a tangible and practical starting block for people. If they are wanting to create more of this emotional intimacy in their relationship is just take the time to turn off the screens, unplug from the everyday world, 
get present with self and get present with your partner. And that can be as simple as just looking into each other's eyes for a moment with presence, without distraction, and just mm. really noticing each other is mm. such a beautiful place to start. That's I'll share a practical tip around the empathy piece, which is to really slow down and think about how you're responding. So because emotional intimacy is this sense of feeling known and understood and accepted and seen, how you respond to your partner when they're sharing is really important because the words you use in response are the things that are going to make them feel seen and heard and understood. So how can you express to them, here's what I've learned about you, here's what I appreciate about what you've just shared, or here's what I really felt just now when you've shared what you've shared. And I think that responding piece can be a real stumbling block for couples because they go, oh, yeah, that made sense. You really have to slow down and think if I was reflecting to this person that I know them deeply, what would I say? And so I'd encourage you to be really bring so much presence to that part of the conversation. How can you make your partner feel seen and heard and loved and accepted in the way that you respond? Okay, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us. And please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review. Who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message? Share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life. See you on the next episode.